Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you on this special day, Father, we're reminded of why we're here, uh, just what we're celebrating. And Father, sometimes we get all caught up in the Easter celebration that we forget about the resurrection. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for what it means to us, our hope, and Father, all that comes with it. We all owe to you. We are thankful. We praise you. We ask now that as we go through the remainder of the service, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, draw us into fellowship with you. And I pray, Father, that as we leave here today, we leave different than we were when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? How many of you found Easter eggs under your seats when you sat down in there today? Well, I tell you, those kids, I don't know how many total eggs we had. I think it was about 700 or something. It was a bunch of them. 550, something like that. Anyway, it was a good, good thing for the kids. I think they had a good time. If you'll notice over here on this side of the stage, this display, this is Operation Christmas Child. This is our shoebox ministry. We are kicking it off on Easter. Now, we won't be collecting these until closer to Christmas, but all through the remainder of this year, we're going to be uh, taking in donations. In years past, we've given you a box and asked you to fill it up, and then it goes to the main office, and the Billy Graham ministry mails it overseas, and it has toys and things for children and a gospel uh, literature. But we're going to do it as a church this year in the sense that what we're going to do is uh, ask you to give money during the year, and we'll have a... Um, what do you call it, thermometer or something that goes up telling how much money we've got. Our goal is 576 boxes. That's way more than we've ever done. And what we're going to do is take the money and buy things in bulk. Buy it in bulk so it is cheaper. And then when we get ready to put them in the boxes, we're going to have a party. And everybody's invited. Bring your kids. We're going to have a meal. Maybe we'll get some guys to barbecue out for us. And we're just going to spend the evening playing some good Christian worship music and filling boxes and sending those things off. So be a part of that this year and make some donations. We'll tell you all about the details later on what to do and how to go about doing that. But uh, I just want to encourage you to be a part of that with us this year, if you would. Now, this past week I came upon an article, and it was talking about something called lateral thinking. How many of you have ever heard of lateral thinking? Well, okay, not many of you. Let me explain a little bit about what I, I understand it to be. It comes from a book written in 1973 by Edward DeBono. And what he has done is he has encouraged people to begin to think critically, or not critically, but in the sense of being open to fresh ways of solving problems. Now, what happened was that this book became the uh, basis for a lot of uh, companies who were looking for people with creative, who, who exhibited creative thinking in order to hire them. And they would give them certain problems or riddles based on this book. And if they proved to be thinkers that uh, looked outside the box, so to speak, looked outside the regular, normal way of looking at something, uh, then they would hire them because they showed potential to be uh, people who would think of new solutions and different ideas. Now, they had to put down their, their old assumptions. They had to stop thinking uh, linear, as you would, uh, in the sense that, okay, this is the way things are, this is the way things have always been, this is the way things are going to be. We think in terms of things that can be tested or proven as being true, and nothing else is possible. And when you do that, you, you cut out a lot of other possibilities that may not be obvious. 
Now, what I want to do today is give you a couple of examples here at the beginning. Maybe you've heard these before. If you have, don't blurt them out. But these are the puzzles or the riddles they would use to see if somebody had potential toward lateral thinking. So and I'm going to give you these little stories, and you'd be thinking, how would you answer this? What is the solution to this? For example, now you're going to kick yourself when you hear these and don't know the answer, but at any rate, here, here goes. Here's the first one. A man lives on the 10th floor of a building. Every day he takes the elevator down to the ground floor in order to leave the building. When he returns home, he takes the elevator to the 6th floor and walks up the stairs to reach his apartment on the 10th floor. He does this every day unless it's raining. If it rains, he rides the elevator all the way to the 10th floor. Now, why does he do this? See, that's the question. Why does he do this? Now, I had all kinds of thoughts. I thought, well, maybe the staircase is on the outside of the building. You know, when he rained, he had to go all the way up. I mean, but I didn't get it. Now, the answer they gave, and I would give you more time, but we don't have it to give. The answer is this, that he's a short man. And going down, he could reach number one on the button in the elevator and go down. Coming back up, he could only reach up to number six. So he would get off at six and then walk up. Except on the days that it rained, he carried an umbrella. And he could take the umbrella and hit button number 10. Yeah, I know, it's silly, isn't it? But you'd be amazed at what that proves or shows, whether somebody's able to think outside the box, think in a different way of what might be possible or maybe another solution to the problem. Now, here's one more I want to give you uh, before we get started. Here it goes. Now, listen carefully. Anthony and Cleopatra are lying dead on the floor of a villa in Egypt. The window is open, and there is water and glass all over the floor. There are no marks on either Anthony or Cleopatra, and they were not poisoned. Brutus stands over them with a guilty look on his face. How did they die? No marks on the body. They weren't poisoned. How did they die? On the, on the floor, there's water and broken glass and a window open. All right, when again, we're not going to give you time to ponder this one, but here's the answer, okay? Brutus is a dog. He is standing over two goldfish named Anthony and Cleopatra. The water and the glass are their broken bowl. He came in through the window, knocked it over, and they're dead. He's standing there looking at them. Now, again, it seems awfully simple when you hear it, but you really have to work at thinking outside of what your brain is telling you to believe and trying to figure out. Now, here's one more, and this will be the last one. A man dies on Friday, and he's buried. Three days later, his friends go to the tomb. The tomb is empty. So what happened to the body? Now, if you are a linear thinker, a person that only sees in black and white, only sees what's there before you, only what can be proven, and that's all you can accept, then you're going to conclude that, well, the body had to be stolen. Somebody had to go into the tomb and get the body because dead people don't walk out of graves. It just doesn't happen. 
Now, a lateral thinker, somebody that is at least open to the possibility that there might be a different solution, at least is able to think through and to acknowledge that, you know what, maybe something supernatural did happen. Now, guys, you've got to admit there's a lot of things that happen in this world that we just can't explain. And if you are ever going to understand the things of God, you have got to begin to look outside the box because the things of God don't always add up. They don't always make sense in the sense of linear thinking, that black is black and white is white and this measures up to this and this can be proven and believed. That doesn't always work that way because there are a lot of things that God just doesn't tell us. Now, right away, some of you that are skeptical are saying to yourselves, aha, see, I was right. This Christian faith is just a blind faith. In other words, there's no basis to it. There's no logic behind it. It doesn't make sense. These Christians have just picked out something out of thin air to believe, and they are believing it, and there's no basis for it. There's no reason for it. They're just ignorant people. But you'd be wrong because, you see, the Christian faith is not blind. The Christian faith is very reasonable. Lateral thinking has to take place in order for you to think outside the box. to to at least consider the possibility that something is supernatural or miraculous. But once that takes place and you begin to examine and begin to look, then you come to the realization that there are reasons why we believe what we believe. There is evidence as to why we think what we think. Because if you examine the Bible with any degree of depth, you're going to come to the same conclusion that God has given us a lot of reasons to believe what we believe. It is not a blind faith. But it doesn't always add up, black and white, linear thinking. You've got to think outside the box and at least open yourself up to the possibility that it is possible. Here are some reasons why we believe in the resurrection. Now just let me give them to you quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but just listen to why we think or believe, according to the Scriptures, that the resurrection took place. The first exhibit, or reason why, is that there were guards on the tomb and a seal, a Roman seal, across the opening. In other words, they had put guards on the tomb because the Jews did not want him to be stolen. They said he claimed he was going to rise from the dead. We don't want his disciples taking the body. The Romans said, okay, we'll do it for you. They put a Roman seal across the rock or the tomb, and they put guards on the tomb, and nobody, nobody was going to get in there. And the disciples couldn't have done it if they wanted to because they weren't strong enough. Listen, at that point, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. They didn't understand it, didn't believe it. A lot of linear thinking with the disciples. They could not get it. Second exhibit, the angel that was there. It's recorded in the scripture that the angel told Mary, he's gone, he's risen, you know, go to Jerusalem. He said he'd meet you there. The third exhibit, or the grave clothes, The Bible tells us both in Matthew and in John that Peter and John ran to the tomb. They look into the tomb. Peter still doesn't know what to believe. And the Bible says that John went into the tomb and examined the grave clothes. Now the grave clothes are the the strips of cloth with uh, incense and spices that he was wrapped in, placed in the tomb. And the Bible says that when he saw the grave clothes, he believed in the resurrection. Well, why? Well, we believe, and it doesn't specifically say it, but it says that they were there by themselves and they weren't in a mess or torn up. 
If somebody stole the body, the grave clothes would have been torn up to get him off of his body. Or why didn't they just take him grave clothes and all? But the Bible says, or at least implies, by the way it's stated, that it's almost like a cocoon. That's still there, but the body is gone. And John understood. He said, there's no other explanation. He could only do it that way. Then there's a fourth exhibit, and that is the witnesses. The Bible says that he was seen by many witnesses after the resurrection. He walked for 40 days on earth. He ate with them. He talked to them. The Bible says that he was seen by over 500 people in one time. Now, this is a lot of witnesses, a lot of reasons to believe. These are eyewitnesses' account, and nobody ever in the first century ever disputed that. They never were able to discredit these witnesses. They said, we saw him, we touched him. But then there's the martyrs. Exhibit number five. The disciples died with that belief. They died because they believed it. They were not going to be convinced otherwise. And down through the history uh, since that time, for the last 2,000 years, people have died in the uh, Colosseum at Rome and in various places because they would not denounce their understanding and their belief in what was true what the Bible said. Nobody would die for something that was not true. It just isn't going to happen. But they died because they knew it to be true. Now, folks, if his enemies couldn't, or wouldn't, let's say, if his enemies would not take the body out of that tomb and his friends could not take the body out of that tomb, then thinking outside the box, there's only one other explanation, that God raised him from the dead. And this is what we believe. The resurrection is the only reasonable explanation. Now we say to ourselves, okay, all right. I'm open to the possibility that the resurrection might be true. I'm open to that. But I've got all these questions. The questions like why? Why did he die? Why was he resurrected? What's the point of all of this? It's like all of these puzzle pieces I've always heard all of my life and I cannot put them into place and make this picture, this puzzle, come into to sight. And I've, I've always wondered, and I can't figure it out, so I've always rejected it. Well, let me try to explain that to you in the next few minutes, because I've got to tell you, here's where the story gets good, okay? Here's where you begin to discover the heart of God. Because when you begin to understand the puzzle... And yeah, you've got to think outside the box because this is not normal. But when you begin to see this, you understand who God really is and what he's like and just how much he loves you. And see, that is so important because all of our lives, the majority of us go through life with the feeling or else having been told that you're not lovable. And especially by God, why would God love you? But when you understand what I'm about to tell you, it begins to fall into place. And it's like one by one the pieces fall into the puzzle until you see the picture of the grace of God and what it really is. So let me share with you these four pieces to this puzzle. Here's the first one. The Bible says, or God says, that you are guilty. The Bible says you're guilty. This is what God tells us. Now let me read you this. It's in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Now notice the verse. It says all. Now that means you too and me as well. We've all sinned. Nobody is exempt from this, this judgment here, okay? 
We are all guilty of having sin. Now, you may not be a bad person, and that is not what the Bible is saying. See, this is where a lot of people get, off, get all bent out of shape. Because you look at other people and you look at how terrible they may be, mass murderers and terrorists and, and child abusers and all this stuff, and I'm not them. Well, nobody's saying that you are. But in the eyes of God, if you have committed sin like me, then the Bible says we are guilty. And we're all in the same boat in that regard. Now granted, some people are worse than others, and that's not what we're debating or talking about here. Now linear thinking, going back to the old way of, hey, look, I know what I believe, this black and white, I can prove it, it feels good, I've lived with it all my life. Linear thinking says, no, I'm not. I'm not guilty. I'm as good as you are. I'm as good as anybody at that church where you go to. I'm not guilty. How dare you say that I'm immoral or ungodly. I'm not that kind of person. And again, I understand. But you have to admit that this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. And you've got to begin to think outside your normal way of thinking. To at least be open to the possibility that you're wrong. And according to the Scriptures, we are when we say that we're not sinners. Here's the second piece of the puzzle that you need to understand. Now listen very carefully. God says that guilty people can't enter heaven. God says guilty people can't enter heaven. Now guys, you know, you don't have to be a mathematician here to figure this out. If all people are guilty, then all people are excluded from heaven. All of us. Again, linear thinking. Well, let me read you this verse first of all. Revelation 21:27 says this. Talking about heaven, and he says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Are you impure? Have you ever had an impure thought? Then you're guilty. Anyone who does shameful things, have you ever done something you're ashamed of? Something you don't want anybody to know about? Something that you have hidden? Then you're guilty. Deceitful. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever told a lie and deceived anybody to any degree whatsoever? You can call it a white lie. You can call it whatever you want. The Bible calls it deceit. And it says that anybody that is impure, shameful, or deceitful is never going to enter. You know, guys, that lets us all out. All of us. So now all of a sudden you've got two pieces to the puzzle. The one says that all of us have sinned, and the other says that because we've sinned, we're not going to get into heaven. And the linear thinker says, wait a minute. God wouldn't do that. God lets everybody into heaven. I heard somewhere, somebody told me, God is love. Isn't that true? Everybody gets to go. But you've got to also understand that there's the side of God that is His justice. God is a just God. God could say, well, I just forgive you. (laughs) Whatever, you know, come on in. I'll just overlook it. But He won't. He can't. Because according to the Scriptures, God is just. That means that if we are guilty, then somebody, namely us, has to pay for that guilt. When you stand before a judge and you're being sentenced, you're going to pay for your own guilt. You're going to pay for it. And it's no different with God. 
And God's love is not seen here with the justice in the sense that you are condemned, but God's love is seen next with the third piece to the puzzle. The third piece says this. God says that Jesus died for your guilt. Jesus died for your guilt. Mm, Now, wait a minute. Things are looking up. Jesus died for my guilt. Listen to these verses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that God made Him, this is talking about Jesus, God made Jesus Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now don't miss the verse, okay? This is critical. This is thinking outside the box because everybody says, if you are guilty, you pay the price. God says, you are guilty, but I'll pay the price. Wow! What a thought. And so God made Jesus Christ to become your sin. And He died on the cross and took the guilt of your sin. All of it, from the day you're born to the day you die, because everything was yet in the future when He died for you. But he died on the cross. And it says so that that in him, God looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see my guilt anymore because the guilt has now been paid for. The penalty is no longer there. I am no longer accountable. Now see, the linear thinker says this. The linear thinker says, well, God wouldn't do that. That's not who God is. I've always been told and I've always thought that God is an ogre. He sits up, up there in heaven, passing out judgment on every little thing we do wrong. And He zaps us with bad things and all of these other things that I've been told all of my life, and God is not like that. God would never, ever do that for me. Then you begin to think outside the box. And you think, or would He? What if he did? What if he did? Because, see, all of a sudden the pieces start falling together and this makes more sense than anything you've ever heard. Because this encompasses God's love and God's justice. Sin has to be paid for, but not me. Because he did it for me. And all of a sudden, your heart begins to well up with joy just at the thought that that just might be true. It's what the Bible says over and over and over again. Listen to this verse in in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He he, He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. So Christ suffered one time for all sin. The righteous, Him, died for the unrighteous, you and me. Why? To bring you to God. God the Father would not accept me if I'm guilty, but God the Father accepts me now because I'm not guilty. Does it mean that I don't sin? Of course not. We are human beings and we still struggle and we deal with that. And God is here to help us but I'm not guilty. And there's the difference. 
I'm not guilty because of what he did. And this is what it says then. It says he was put to death in the body. In other words, he died for your sins. But he was resurrected or made alive by the Spirit. And again, you know, the linear thinker says, that is so hard for me to accept. Because everything in me, everything that I've ever heard or been taught, it says that can't be true. Yet the Bible says it is. And you know in your heart it makes more sense than anything you've ever heard. You know it. And in order for you to accept it, you're going to have to open yourself up to what is called the lateral thinking. Think of another answer to your problem. That this just might be true. So now we come to the fourth and final piece of the puzzle. And here's what it says. That God says that all you have to do is believe it. God says all you have to do is believe it. You think of a gift like that, you think of a tremendous gift that God has given you. You think, okay, God, what do I have to do to get it? God, do I, I'll go to church every Sunday if I need to, but I want what you're giving me. I'll give all my money if, you, if I have to, but I want this gift of not being guilty. God says, no. There's only one way you have it. You accept it as a gift from me and stop trying to pay for it because you can't. Listen to this verse. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Look at it. It's very simple. Don't make it complicated. Whoever believes what I just told you from the Bible, that Jesus died on a cross for your sins and rose from the dead to save you and bring you to God, whoever believes it has eternal life. When do you get it? Right now. You've got it when you believe. Why would God do that? Why would He do it? Because God made it as simple as he possibly could. It's not easy because Jesus, who went through a lot for this, paid a great price. But it is simple. Don't complicate it. It says, Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Do you understand that? You are already guilty. You're not acquiring God's wrath. You are trying to get rid of it. You already have it on you. You are guilty. By faith in Christ, when you come to Christ, you put your faith in what He has done and understand it and accept it without having all the answers to all of your questions, just taking God at His word, then you have it. And the wrath of God is removed from you. Listen to this one last verse. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's the clearest verse in the Bible. That God loved you so much, He would not let you remain under His wrath. He sent His Son to die for you. And that whoever believes, the Bible says, whoever believes will not perish will not be, have spent eternity away from Him, but will have eternal life. 
Now, here's what the linear thinker will say, okay? The linear thinker will say, well, that's too easy. There has to be more to it than that. Religion has got to be more complicated than that. The Bible, look at all this here. I mean, there's got to be more to it. And no, it's not. You think to yourself, well, it, has, it cannot be free. Nothing is free in this life. This is. This is. And God says it over and over in the Bible. It is a gift. It is a gift. You have to accept it that way or you can't have it. Accept it. Believe it. Put your faith in it. Here's the reason the resurrection is so important. Now watch this. In the Middle East, there's a custom that if you go into the marketplace to buy something, you barter. So you go up to a counter and you want to buy a, an article and you might lay down some money. And the guy may be asking $10, you lay down $5. And he just ignores you. And then you may put a couple more dollars in and maybe make it up to $7. And then when he's happy with that, he'll reach down and get it and he'll give you the article and you're free to go. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he took all of your punishment, all of your pain, and God laid all of your sin upon him and then he died for it. He, the payment was made. Now the whole world stands in anticipation wondering what now? And on the third day, God the Father said the payment's enough and he reaches down and he gets it. And he raises him from the dead. That signified to the world it is finished Sin has been paid for. The guilt is no longer there. Guys, here's where you learn the heart of God. God's not an ogre. God is not unloving. God is just. But God loves you so much that He paid the price for you. And He turns to you and He says, if you'll believe that, receive it by faith. It's just that simple. It's yours. But you've got to do it. You've got to reach out by faith and claim it. And I'm going to give you that opportunity right here. I'm not asking you to come up to the altar here or come up front or anything like that. But I'm going to ask you to make a choice. And it's only between you and God, okay? Nobody else. It's not between you and me. between you and God. But I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And now you have to make a choice. The puzzle pieces have put in, have been put in. And now you can see what it looks like. You can see the plan of God. You can see how all of the Bible comes together with this. Now, are you going to remain in this linear way of thinking that, oh, well, that's too easy, it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to accept it? Or are you going to, maybe for the first time in your life, think outside the box and admit that maybe... There's a lot of things that are supernatural that I can't answer. But that makes more sense to me than anything I've ever heard. And right here, right now, in the quietness of my own heart, between me and God, I am opening up my heart and I'm telling God, Lord, I believe. I believe what the Bible says, that you paid it for me. And right now I'm trusting in you. Save my soul. Cleanse my heart. I don't want to be guilty anymore. Will you do that? Right there where you sit. 
I'm not going to have you come forward and make a spectacle of you. I'm just going to ask you just to simply place up, push your hand in the air and say, yeah, I'm, I'm trusting him today. Just let me know that I made it clear enough for you to understand. Anyone at all, say, Pastor, I'm trusting Christ. I'm putting my faith in him today. Anyone at all. Just slip it up and put it back down. Our Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are humbled because, Lord, we realize that without you we are guilty. But you loved us so much that you did this for us. Heavenly Father, may we never, ever lose sight of this or diminish this in any way. Because it's in this process, in this plan of yours, that we really see your heart and that you love us. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for Easter and the resurrection and all that it entails. And may we never, uh, never stop worshiping you because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to show you a brief little three-minute video. Then we're going to have one more special, and then we're going to take communion, okay? But I'll have you out of here pretty soon. Let me tell you a story. You may not believe me. I don't know him.
what has been defeated, what has been forgiven. What was once dead has new life. What was once old has been made new. What was once finite has been made eternal. 